good stock prices, probably. You <laughs> <laughs> take good stock prices, yeah. I don't know. I can't comment on that. Would it be like their initial thing that they produced before it got copied by the Iron Man movie book, but they would have been pretty revolutionary when they first came out? Revolutionary, or to use a different word, and a cool word, in revolution is disruptive. Or disruption in the marketplace. There were phones before Apple came along with their iPhone, but they brought in the iPhone, and you couldn't deal with this big compared to other phones that were in the middle. But it could do so much. And of course, menu, log, how you can have food delivered to you. All you can have to go out, get it, and test it. They've been car makers for generations who competed with each other, but now here's a new technology that disrupts the whole marketplace. All created through partnerships with people who took risks to just produce something that is going to be expensive to do, but is it going to produce the results? Well, yes, probably on the stock market, you could say it works. That's why their logo is up here rather than all the other ones that failed that we don't even know about. Um, sorry about the few that had one of the ones that failed. <laughs> it's a partnership, it's in cahoots with it. it's about getting in and doing something that's a bit edgy and a bit against the norm, maybe even causing disruption. Whatever it is, it's more than just getting together and having morning tea with scones and jam and cream. It's partnership with an edge to it, and I'm going to drop the word kahoot now and use partnership But Paul and Timothy are partners. First one you can see it there, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And they're writing to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the Ereticians and Deacons, the leaders of the church, that is the, the Christian believers, the saints, who are living in the town of Philippi. And you may have been there. It's a place you can go to today and see, um, spend lots of money to get there. Uh, but here is Paul's message, Paul's letter. For the Christians who are living in this place. And it's all about partnership. Or it kicks off being all about partnership. Verse 3 there. It's partnership in the gospel. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Their partnership with them is partnership in the gospel. What is that? We all you may know what the gospel is. If you don't, we need to be reminded of it all the time. The gospel is God's announcement. That's what it is. God's announcement. They're there in point two A. The gospel is God's announcement. What is it an announcement of? Paul doesn't explain it here, but in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. As preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Now, from that verse, what can you say that gospel is about? Yeah? Resurrection. It's about resurrection. Almost. Need more information. Salvation. It's about salvation. Oh, it's no, there's no salvation there. It is, but you need to 
dig a little bit further. It's, it's, it's about resurrection. Yes, it's about Jesus' resurrection. It's about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And it's not just that Jesus was dead and became alive. That's not the gospel. Just that death got reversed. But rather all the significance of Jesus' resurrection is connected with him being the offspring of David. Of course. That makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> if, unless you don't know who David is. David was the king, king, God's king, of his people, some thousand years before Jesus. He made a promise, God made a promise to David that his son would rule on the throne over all people and all nations forever. And so when Jesus comes along and is raised from the dead as the offspring of David, he is the king who was to come who will rule all nations forever. That is the gospel announcement. That is the gospel message. That is, there is a man who now rules over all peoples and all nations. Back in the time of the Philippines, through to us today. That is the gospel announcement. That is God's announcement. Such that who is in control? It is Jesus who is in control. Who is ruling the nations? Jesus is ruling the nations. And it's as that message goes out, that is the announcement that's actually bringing a change. And it's actually bringing salvation. Point B, God's power for salvation. You don't see it directly in Philippians 1, but Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's not just the Jewish people that David was king over, it's to all people, everywhere, Jews, Greeks, all, way, all people, Salvation has come. And it's through the gospel. The announcement that Jesus is king. That is God's power. Which I can think about. And a, a message as being the way God has power. Isn't God just sort of like, sort of like control everything? Like put his mind and things change and you know, rains over there and sunny here and thick waves there and no surf there. Sure, God does do that. But the way that he, he tells us his power, where his power is, is in the gospel. He doesn't just, that is, again, just operate someone's mind, they turn and believe in him. He does do that, the church does do that, but he chooses to use this message that Jesus is in. That is God's power for salvation for everyone. And it's a salvation which we'll talk about uh, more uh, next week. It's bringing people from, uh, from death to life, from darkness to life. But back to Philippians 1. Uh, Paul doesn't speak this message on his own. He doesn't uh, go out and do this on his own. He does it with, in partnership with the Philippians. He thanks God 
And all these remembrance of the Philippians, whenever he prays, because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until until now. And Paul has great joy in this partnership that the Philippians have. We'll see more about this partnership um, as we um, move along. But notice, you may have not noticed, that this partnership is all done in partnership with God. It's all done in reliance upon God. I thank my God. Why does he thank God for their partnership in the gospel? Because God is the one who's behind the partnership. In every prayer of his, he prays with joy for their partnership in the gospel. Because God's behind their partnership. It's actually a partnership of God, the Philippians, and Paul together. And here we see how God chooses to work in the world. Can be a, a three, can be a C, uh, to the C, how God chooses to work in the world. As I said, look, God can choose to do whatever He wants. He can choose to operate the world however He wants to operate. But He does it by speaking. Just like in Genesis 1, He speaks the creation into existence. Hebrews 1 tells us that He that Jesus, God's Son, upholds the creation by the word of his power. So he chooses to change people by speaking, by a spoken word, by speaking the gospel. And he not only chooses to speak, God chooses to use people speaking. It's incredible, isn't it? Picked up from the Roman passage, uh, sorry, from the 2 Timothy passage, Paul's in prison, he's in chains. He's not a particularly impressive person, he's not a particularly powerful person. If he's ended up in prison and in chains in Philippians, here we see that he's in prison. He's not a good operator. You go into partnership with Paul, you seem to just end up in prison. But uh, God chooses to use him and his speaking. To use us in our speaking to bring about his change in the world. Get our heads around this is incredible. God could do anything. And, and he chooses to use people. It's always the way God has worked from the beginning. When he created the world, created the, the garden, he put people in control of it. He didn't have to do that. He could have operated all the levers and the buttons from, from heaven. Like, you know, I'll make it, do that there, or make that a garden, or make that a desert. He puts people in place to be his image bearers in the creation. And so, God chooses to use people to speak his message. His message of power that changes people's lives. And they do it in partnership together. Secondly, we're partners in grace. We're partners in grace. Paul describes it as partners in grace, verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul recognizes 
and puts voice to it that they are his partners in grace. Which grace is this? The gospel announcement is that Jesus is king. He's ruling with power to bring salvation. And it's bringing God's grace as it's spoken. God's grace. God's kindness. God's forgiveness. Uh, God's cleansing. Again, Paul doesn't go into it in, in detail here. But God's grace is that he doesn't count our sin against us. We've tested positive for sin. But instead of being in isolation from God, he cleanses us from sin by the grace of his gospel. And he includes us such that we are no longer infected but healed. That is God's grace. But here in Philippians 1, Paul explains that this partnership in grace is not without opposition. He's in being imprisoned for speaking the gospel. So grace is not neutral. God's kindness to humanity in not counting our rebellion against him, against us, but, but forgiving that. You would think that that is news, that is welcomed by the whole world. Give us more of this stuff, but no, Paul ends up in prison. There are people who don't want this. It's an unwelcome message with the ruling elite. Just go back to it in those examples. I'm sure that those you know, car manufacturers like Ford and Bolt and Toyota and all those ones that have been building cars for generations and spent billions on factories did really not want someone like a Elon Musk and Tesla to come along and ruin all their plans. Uh, here we see Paul with this gospel message that disrupts the status quo, that says that we are not in control, that we are not the ones who rule the world in and of ourselves, is not a popular message. That we need God to come in and change us and to bring us to death for life is not a popular message because it says, you are not in, I am not in control. You are not in control. Something is wrong with you that needs changing. Rather than facing this opposition, in the face of this opposition, retreating or complaining or recommending that the Philippians sort of cut back on the gospel a little bit, Paul rejoices in their partnership, in his imprisonment, uh, and in the defence and the confirmation of the gospel. And he reiterates this further on in this chapter. I'll put it on the screen because we don't have it in the outlines. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Interesting. This word granted. For the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. It's an incredible statement from Paul. 
God's grace to you that you should suffer. Why is that a grace from God? How can that possibly be a grace from God? Okay, I'll give you a moment to think about that. Well, that sounds like a disruptive sort of message. Um, how is it that joining in the gospel and suffering for the gospel is a gracious thing from God? Have a chat with the person I have a lecture straight after this, so it works for me. Consider it pure joy, says James, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Yeah. The gospel message that says you are not in control is a challenge to the way that we live our life. That we're saved 
from our own way of living to live God's way is a change that actually grates against us. It's for our good, but it grates against us. It grates against the world. The world doesn't want us to live in a way that's opposite to it. And so, are we suffer? And it's a right thing. It's not a pleasant thing. It's not meant to be something that we go, yeah, it's in and on. I love this. It feels so good. Bring more, more, more. Make the water colder. Make the water hotter. Whatever it is. Uh, it's not that the suffering itself is the pleasant thing. We need to think of it pleasantly. But what it produces is Godliness. That is, that we are aligned with God more and more and more. And it makes sense when you think about it. I was reminded of. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., who you may have heard of, uh, in the civil he was assassinated in the US for his uh, um, civil rights movement that he had, where he was seeking equality between blacks and whites. He suffered a lot, he suffered death because of that. Could you imagine him never sharing his, uh, his passion? for the civil rights movement with his children. Could you imagine that he would he would shield them from any experience of, of suffering because of that, or any opposition, or any opposing view? It would be crazy. No, you need to understand these things, he would be saying. You need to be a part of the change that's in the world. And the same with us. The God that we follow is bringing change. The God that we follow is bringing change to the gospel message that challenges our world. And as we understand that and live that more, we also suffer because of that. And that is how God chooses to work. It's not like, oh, something's gone wrong. Paul has great joy. He thanks God that they can join in his suffering. He graciously allows us to experience that. Together. We don't do that alone. We're doing that together. Unsurprisingly, this partnership also involves lastly prayer. Partners in prayer. Thank you. 
The thing that I think what I did, I think what I did, what I did was because I saw they both had the same thing, and so I think when I saw that in the document it had that bottom bit, I was like, oh, that's done because I saw it on there, but I didn't realize it was two of them with exactly the same. So I must have because I just copied your what I did is so I opened up your working and just copied it across, but the formatting must have changed so it disappeared, and that bottom thing looked the exact same for both sides. I'm like, oh, it's copied fine, not having double checked it. No, for next time, need to go and double check it a bit more. So be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. It's a prayer 
to know what's best, to understand. It's not always obvious to know what's best. I think I know what's best for me, but it's so infected by my old nature of sin. I think I know what's best for you, but it's so infected by my own selfishness for myself. That I need, and I think I know times what's best for God, what He should really do in the world. But we actually need God's help to understand so that our love might abound more and more in knowledge and know what is the best and be able to so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Another interesting thing that we see here about God is that he chooses to work through prayer. If Paul didn't pray this for these guys, for the Philippians, would they have, would their love abounded more and more in knowledge and all the same? Would God have done that anyway? And made a pure and blameless. Would he spend a day when he didn't pray? Because he prays for them all the time. And what if he misses a day? Does that mean that they sort of drop down a peg on the pure and blameless sort of peg? And what is it about, what, what is it that's happening with this prayer? Or this prayer before? Rather, it shows us, uh, rather than answering that, it shows us that God chooses to work through our prayers. So God could, as I said before, He could just operate the world however He wants to, uh, without us at all. And no doubt there's many aspects of the, the running the universe that God does without any consultation to us. But in terms of the gospel, God chooses to use people. God chooses to use our prayers. Such that if we pray, things are different. If we don't pray, things are different. You might wonder about prayer and think, why, why is this mental activity that I do, or this verbal one activity I do with other people, how does it actually do anything? Again, it's God including us in partnership because He wants to. And I think about part of His um, design from the beginning to have humans rule the world. This is a big question. Uh, but the way that God has humans ruling the world now is by us asking for God's will to be done, for God's kingdom to be done on earth. And it will be done as earth, on earth as it is in heaven. As we actually pray to God, is if we're included in the work that He's doing, bringing about His will on earth. Crazy. Wow. But that is the way God chooses to work such that when we pray, we're actually recognizing God's sovereignty over everything. When we don't pray, we fail to recognize God's sovereignty and the choice of using our prayers to bring about the purposes. It's great, it's amazing, it's a great privilege and a humble one. So let us pray. God chooses to work in the world through speaking the gospel message through people. God chooses to work through our suffering, and God chooses to work through our prayers.
next week with begin Jesus weeks where we're seeking to make the gospel of Jesus clear and known to everybody with a disruptive message. The world thinks that God is too big to care, perhaps, or God isn't there to care, or God, God doesn't care to care. But our message is that God does care. And it's in the gospel message of Jesus that we see that he does care. It's a disruptive message which belongs here at him, uh, amongst the marketplace of ideas. Okay? Disruptive message of him, but can you? And so, knowing that it's God's work that He invites us to be in partnership with, through speaking, through suffering, and through prayer, then let us join in speaking to other people the gospel of grace and mercy. And join in suffering, and whatever heart you may come from, and join in prayer. Will you do that? Will you join in partnership in the I'm going to pray that that might be our, our, uh, our attitude and our life. Very pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the powerful gospel message that you have brought through the Lord, raising the Lord Jesus from the dead and making him king over all nations. We thank you that through that message you are changing people's lives. You're bringing people from death to life. We thank you that you choose to work through people speaking that message, through us, unworthy people. Lord, we pray that you would help us to speak this message next week especially, to join together in doing that, join in suffering in whatever hardships um, that it creates for us, and Lord, that we might so pray to you that we might see the gospel uh, change people's lives. Work through us, we pray. Help us to see uh, what you are doing in the gospel through, in people's lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.